0: Thank you for your singing. Every Lord's Day to hear you singing joyfully, enthusiastically is just right out a picture of uh, Ephesians five. Do not be drunk with wine. That's the setup, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another, singing to one another, to one another in Psalms and hymns in spiritual songs. Well, as we go to the Word this morning, if you'll turn to Exodus chapter 20. And I'd like to take us to the throne of grace just one more time, if we can pray as a people together. Father, we thank you that you have revealed the way and plan of salvation. We thank you that the Son has accomplished redemption through the blood of his cross, that we might be right with you. That we who were your enemies were made your friends. That your anger has been removed. That you have imputed to us, you've credited us with the righteousness that is alien to us. The righteousness of your son that you would say that we have become the righteousness of God in you. And we thank you for your spirit. As the Father revealed the salvation, the Son redeemed and accomplished redemption for a whole multitude so big that no one can number. We thank you for the regenerating, renewing, transforming work of your Spirit who dwells in us, the people of God. And so we pray now that as we look at this Word, that the Spirit would show us Christ, the Christ who dwells in us, that the Spirit would help us to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of lo- and love of God. So that even as we may face our own sin, but we see your own faithfulness, we might be filled up with all your fullness. This is our prayer. We ask it for the sake of the Lord Jesus. Amen. I want you to imagine with me for a moment. A huge, wide, massive river and a suspension bridge from one side of the river to the other over a river that cannot possibly be crossed except by this suspension bridge. And I want you to think of this bridge that was built with piles of cash and buckets of sweat. This is not like a weekend Home Depot doers get more done type of project. And if you want to get from this side of the river to the other, you know that the bridge is your only option. It's the only option for the residents who live on both sides of the river to travel back and forth, to do business, commerce, and trade, to seek medical attention that's not available on that side and is only available on that side, to buy the papayas from the papaya grower on that side because there's not a close one on that side, to visit family because Jim Bob and his family and your eight cousins on your daddy's side live on that side, and you're not fording this river by swimming it. Do I need to tell you how important it is to keep that bridge in good repair? To make sure that no enemy of the communities on either side of the bridge could damage or destroy the bridge? I think not. I don't think I need to tell you how important in that case that suspension bridge is to those two communities on both sides of that river. Marriage... As we think of this seventh commandment, again, like, you shall not murder, just two words, just two words in the Hebrew, the negative particle and then the verb itself. And all these commandments are always masculine and singular. It's as though every son of Israel, as they were there at the mountain, and they're hearing God speak these Every man, in a sense, would have heard these as addressed singularly to him. But though the word marriage is not in, the 14th, in in verse 14, in the seventh commandment, we might say like that line from the movie, marriage is what has brought us together. And that's what's giving shape to this commandment. Marriage, and more precisely, the covenant of each and every marriage is like the suspension bridge that spans the river and connects the two communities. These two persons, the husband and the wife, are joined by this covenant in marriage that God has intended for life. And so now, if you think, I'm not married, this message does not apply to me, stop it. Okay, just stop it. It does. (laughs) Rethink. Rethink the moment. One marriage, two persons... Joined by covenant and marriage that God has intended for life, for blessing, for mutual benefit, for the blessing and benefit of the community, for double joys and sorrows cut or reduced in half. And to provide this living picture, not as a distinctly Christian institution, marriage, brothers and sisters, is a human institution. And one of the witnesses of this church the pastor Jamie and I will do is that we will do premarital counseling even for a couple that are not Christians. If they came and they think we need, we need counseling, we would do it. Before, if you will, the Christian era in the first couple of chapters of Genesis, marriage is on the table. And it's God who is the author and designer of Marriage. As we know from Genesis 2, the very end of it, and the way the Apostle Paul uses that verse, it is marriage that is to provide this vivid, ongoing, crisp-edged picture. Not perfect, but picture. Actually like a continual highlight film. And picture of the beauty of God's plan for the ages of Christ the bridegroom in the church, his bride. And so like the bridge, this covenant was designed to remain intact for life. And so friends, let me say young and old, it doesn't matter. If you're, it doesn't matter if you're eight or six or four or 80. It's, this is the point of the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. The area code of marriage of, of the seventh commandment is marriage, but moreover it 's covenant, and I want t- to challenge us to rethink in a fresh way about the seventh commandment. Do you know sometimes when you, so, uh, you there 's this picture and you 're trying to decide what do you see? do you know what i 'm talking about there 's a certain type i don 't know what you call it someone creates some artwork and you show it to person A and they see x you show it to person b. And they see why. On the surface, this seventh commandment, this third and the second table of the law is a simple prohibition. God is saying, you shall not. And it's stronger than simply if you would say, you shall not adulterize. He says, you shall not commit. You should not commit adultery. But I want to challenge you to rethink this commandment as within the context of marriage and marriage within the context and coming out of the very character of who God is. Yes, God is the one who designed and instituted marriage, but who is God or what is God like? God is the great covenant-keeping God. And therefore, when you prick marriage, when you swab it for DNA, at its foundation, at its edges, at its heart, is God and his commitment to covenantal relationship. And so, my goal in our remaining time is not for you to think, I am an adulterer and I'm done, I'm undone. I want us to land on the grace of God and the God who keeps covenant, the God who is for us in kindness. And that's not to take away the seriousness of this. That's why we read from Matthew 5. That's why we read from 1 Thessalonians 4. That's why we read from 1 Corinthians 6. But so as we come, I want to give you a quick outline. And it parallels. I'm using a similar outline to last week on the sixth commandment. I want to give you this outline briefly. And I think last time I spent too much on giving you the outline and less on exegeting it. So I want to do this very briefly. Number one, we'll see the basis for the commandment. Number two, we'll see the essence of the commandment. Third, we'll see the obedience. So, right, the basis, the essence, the obedience. Fourth, we'll see the heart of the commandment. If you've noticed, the title is the seventh commandment, both eyes and heart. Even like last week on the 6th was more heart than hands. And then finally we'll see, or not finally, the application of this commandment. And then sixthly, gospel hope for adulterers. Gospel hope for adulterers. So this morning, I want to begin right here, and we'll be thinking about first the basis for this commandment. What's the basis for the seventh commandment? You can see, and if you'll focus for a moment just on Exodus 20 and verse 14, you see God is speaking, and he says, there's something that we ought not to do. And that that we ought not to do is to commit adultery. As we've seen, the area code here is marriage. But underlying this is the idea of covenant in God as the great covenant keeping God who keeps his prom- who makes covenant, who makes promises and cannot fail them. That's where we're at with this commandment. And that's what I want you to rethink this commandment. We can't bring a Nike theology of just don't do this. You got it? We can't negativize a Nike theology. Just don't do this. And some of you know it's an action. I love yards and grass and all that. That the way we grow, the way we kill weeds is by cultivating grass. The way we put sin to death, in part, is by cultivating the life of God in the soul that's the ultimate antidote, the living, indwelling Son of God by the Spirit, who when we find Him so beautiful and lovely and so desirable, we're satisfied. And we can look at this temptation which is the broader picture of the seventh commandment, the realm of sexual immorality, the idea of chastity, purity, and we can be satisfied with what God gives us, moreover, who God gives us in marriage. So the basis for this commandment is that God has designed marriage as the primary Until death do we part. Covenantal commitment for the human race. And don't miss this. God is the designer of marriage. It is his institution. And God is the great covenant keeping God. So his design for marriage and therefore how we live out our marriages reflects the covenantal character of God. And I want to be transparent here. Cheryl and I were just at a uh, Reformation Fellowship conference in Atlanta, and I got to spend several hours with Dane Ortland, who wrote Gentle and Lowly. Wonderful time. So we come back last night. We've just eaten dinner. And I realize from Cheryl that I committed adultery with my phone by being more attentive to my phone and all those texts that I needed to respond to than the attention that I needed. To give her. Are you tracking with me? Do you understand? If this commandment has to do with us maintaining the fidelity related to the word fide, kids, remember? Sola fide, faith alone, faith alone. It means keeping good faith, living with integrity within our marriage. In this case, last night at nine. Cheryl said to me in so many words, there's another woman in your life and it's called your iPhone. You tracking? Or am I speaking a different language that no one understands? You with me? Okay. Marriage is the basis for this commandment, though you don't see the word marriage there. Death until death, do we part covenantal commitment, one man, one woman, to each other through this suspension bridge arrangement of covenant for life. And because God is that great covenant keeping God, then our marriage should reflect God's character, his delight in commitment to covenant. Second, I want to talk about the essence of this commandment. And the very essence of it is that marriage is sacred. It's not to be forbidden, like Paul speaks in 2 Timothy of those that are too spiritual to think that marriage, actually know, is one of God's enduring gifts, even if we won't be married in heaven. Marriage is sacred. There is a sanctity to human marriage that must be respected, protected, and cultivated. All right? And I think this is helpful. If you, if some of you may have noticed in First Corinthians, we're, in First Corinthians six, as we think of the essence of marriage, if you look back at First Corinthians six, you'll notice that Paul puts idolaters and then adulterers in consecutive order. And I don't know if you've thought about this. But the second command then is forbidding idolatry, which is to deprive God of the worship and glory and priority that he deserves. The sixth commandment, as Matthew Henry says, is where we are forbidden to destroy our neighbor. As the seventh commandment, we are forbidden to defile our neighbor. So the second is a breaking of the covenant where God says, I'm your God and you're my people. This is what's expressed in Exodus 19 that precedes the 10th, 10 commandments. And so the second commandment is idolatry, the denial of the priority of God and God alone. The sixth commandment is the destroying of our neighbor. And then the seventh commandment then is the defiling Of our neighbor, and therefore, like the second, is to break covenant and to deny worship to the one true God who says, Worship me and no one else. This seventh commandment, at its essence, is covenant breaking. It breaks the sacred bond of marriage. That's why we must not commit adultery. It's all about God. I want to speak thirdly of the obedience required by this commandment. We're to never take our neighbor's wife. We're not to take our neighbor's husband. And to do so equals adultery or the committing of adultery. And I want you to think about this. We may commit adultery fully with our bodies, but the point of Jesus' words in Matthew 5 is that we may also break the marriage covenant with our eyes and our hearts. Have you ever heard the phrase, if looks could kill? Has anyone ever given you that look where you just want to look at the floor, you just want to walk away and run? Have you ever had that look? You know what I'm saying. By a simple expression, by not smiling, by frowning, by that intensity of face, they've slain you by their countenance. And so Jesus says we may break the marriage covenant with our eyes and our hearts. He says in Matthew 5, verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And Jesus wants us to understand not just the words of the commandment, but the spirit of the commandment. Marriage is special, and so must be treated as such. That's why last night, Cheryl and I had to have a discussion how I was going to cast out that iPhone woman. Does that make sense? Yeah, we had to rethink that, even as a couple. But Paul, by his writings in Romans 7, affirms Jesus' words in Matthew 5. Jesus does not abolish the commandment, but he nuances it. He helps us see the spiritual dimensions to it. And so, Paul can say in Romans chapter 7, verse 12, so the law is summarized in these two great commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And then from Leviticus 19, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord your God, the essence of covenantal relationship. So, Paul says the law is holy, and the commandment, in this case, As he was speaking of the 10th commandment, covenanting, the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Let's get to the heart of the commandments, the fourth point. We've looked at the basis, the essence, the obedience. The heart of the seventh commandment is that this commandment is about both the eyes and the heart the eyes, and the heart. And the reality is, if you'll just grab the Trinity hymnal from the pew seat in front of you, we did this last week, and I think by doing something two weeks in a row, it could actually arouse your curiosity about the benefit of the Shorter Catechism. And if you'll turn there to page 874... In question 71, what is required in the seventh commandment? The seventh commandment requireth or requires the preservation of our own and our neighbor's chastity in heart, speech, and behavior. What is forbidden in the seventh commandment? That's seven, question 72. The seventh commandment forbiddeth. Forbids all unchaste thoughts, words, and actions. So that our eyes, our words, even the way we dress, is intended with God's glory in mind and therefore not enticing, provoking, or tempting one another by the way we interact flirtatiously, maybe dressing flirtatiously. The things we say that we respect, those boundaries. And so largely, there's this purity and chastity to the broader term of the the term sexual immorality. And then there, within that, pernea, within that, adultery where whether I'm unmarried, if I'm relating to a married woman in a way that's beyond normal, emotional, healthy emotional and physical boundaries and relating in ways that should only be reserved for my wife, for my future wife, or for that woman's husband, then I violated this word. But in addition to that, There is, for those of you who are not married, there is this living with sexual purity without embarrassment. And a reminder, and we've talked about this as a church family, God made you as sexual beings with sexual capacity. You don't need to be embarrassed or turn red about that. But to understand God made you distinctly male, he made some of you distinctly female, And that maleness and femaleness, as it expresses the very character of God in a mysterious way, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then even this wonderful relationship in the Trinity that Jesus speaks of like in his high priestly prayer in John 17, then the way we relate to one another in marriage... And even as sexual beings is reserved for the context of marriage and it 's not to say that unmarried women should not be feminine and enjoy their femininity, a godly femininity, and a unmarried man to express characteristics of masculinity and to understand there 's not one, but that that fact there are dimensions of feminine personality and, and character and gender in the same for men. But it's to say that expressed sexually is, or expressing ourselves with this as sexual beings with sexual capacity is reserved for this special sacred cup that's called marriage. Kids. Teenagers, don't break the cup. Keep the cup. There'll be a time to drink from it, but not until you're married. So as we continue and we think about the heart of this commandment, it's to remember that this chastity, this purity, this goodness, thats the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. This holiness that's the calling of every Christian that Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, when you wonder, what is the will of God for my life? What, God, what is your will for my life? And he says it, here it is, your holiness. I, the Lord, am holy, so you shall be holy. We saw this last week in Matthew 15 to understand. It seems paradoxical. It's not what goes in the mouth that defiles us but what comes out of the heart that defiles a person and it's very unique he says jesus says in matthew 15 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts murder adultery sexual immorality theft false witness slander that's weird right so theft is like our hands slander false witnesses our mouths hmm but the root of this, Jesus says, is the heart. That's what defiles us. And so all that makes you, you, is given over. This is our goal. And it, and it really works with our verse of the month, Romans 12, 1. All that makes you, you, is given over to Jesus as Lord to express heartfelt obedience to this command with all the members of our bodies our eyes our heart our hands nothing is left out yesterday at the conference in atlanta in our workshop dane ortland was leading this and one of the brothers there was saying that he was going to resign as pastor of his church this morning he was saying that and He began to pour out his heart, and Dane Ortlund was maybe just 20 feet away. And Dane never took his eyes off him for five minutes and just was slowly nodding, his eyes there listening attentively. Dane Ortlund in that morning, in that moment for me, was even modeling what's transferable to marriage, and that is this giving of ourselves for the Lord's sake to our spouses, and never looking for that from someone who isn't. So everything's included, all that we are. And I want to acknowledge the difficulty of this. Paul did; he was plain about this with the Thessalonian church. We've already noted that they loved each other well. He complimented them about that, but he pressed in on them about their moral purity with respect to sexual immorality turn with me there First Thessalonians chapter 4 I want to stay in there just for a moment or two Paul begins big right hey here's a final note dudes like we're asking and urging you, urging you in the Lord Jesus as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, like just keep doing what you're doing. Just as you were doing, how about abound in that? He says, you know the instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. And here it is, here's the will of God. You wonder what it is for your life. Here it is. Your holiness, your sanctification. You're reflecting that divine image of God that you were saved for. You were predestined to. Romans 8, 29, 2 Corinthians three eighteen, And it looks like this, that you abstain. That's very interesting. You abstain, like you think of a cup uh, of alcohol, and someone says, you need to abstain from that, so you just leave the cup there. And he says, you need to abstain from sexual immorality. So look at the verbs, That you know, that each of you know how to, here it is, control, another verb, his own body in holiness and honor. So the whole church is gathered and they're hearing this. Little boys, little girls, big girls, big boys. Hmm, little boys are like, I'm supposed to control my own body now. Okay. But not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles, who do not know God. But he says as you read on. Look at the words. He says. To do so as those who do. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. And so what Paul does is he. he picks up the Thessalonians by the chin. And he's really exegeting the seventh commandment. And saying. The context of the seventh commandment is marriage, and marriage is profoundly shaped by who God is and how God deals with us. He's like a baby at his mother's breast, and the mother will let no one or nothing as the ultimate mama bear tear that baby away. That's the point of this commandment. I want to apply this very briefly. Like the sixth commandment in the life of our neighbor, the application of this commandment, not just to marriage, but to those. Of us who are not on the far side of marriage. But on the near side. Either early in marriage or not married at all. Wondering about marriage. This commandment has great breadth with respect. To the way we think about our sexuality. Under the lordship. Of king Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? The lord of the church king Jesus. Is also the one through whom all things were made, Colossians 1. And therefore, even how you were made, your mindset, anatomically, as men, women, Jesus had a hand in that. So just as to apply this, as we are never to take the life of another person with purposeful premeditated malice, neither are we to take the wife or husband of another person. Matthew Henry said it and expressed it earlier, to break the sixth commandment is to destroy our neighbor, to break the seventh is to defile our neighbor. One is to destroy, one is to defile. Secondly, I want us to think in terms of both our eyes and our heart. You know the word that Solomon gave his children in Proverbs 4:23. He said, "Above everything you guard, there's one thing you better set a perfect sentinel around 24/7 365, and that is every single chamber of your heart." And probably more so than anything In this area. Men, I want to ask you a question. Are you delighting in your wife? Or are you being an idiot like I was last night, giving too much attention to something that is neutral in and of itself, a series of texts on an iPhone? Does your wife have your eyes? Does she have your ear? Ask her. Ask her. Ladies, you're not getting off easy. Just apply everything I just said. Flip it around. Does your husband believe That although he is a work in progress, he is a work in progress prince. Do you have eyes for him only? Or have you given too much attention, so much attention to your children that you've forgotten that the first and primary and permanent relationship with the family is your mate? It's not your children. How have you handled that? So, a fourth application I want to press, and that is that is us endeavoring not by our own strength, but cultivating tenderness in life in our marriages to give our best smiles, our warmest hugs, our sweetest touch to our mates, Moms and dads, I want to ask a question. Right now, if you knew that your marriage would serve as medicine, as a vaccination, as inoculation for your children to deal with what is required and what is forbidden with the seventh commandment, how are you setting your children up for life by the way you love your wife, men? How are you setting up your children for life in marriage? Wives, by the way, you're attentive and in a healthy way, loving your husband. Submitting to your husband as Christ to the church and husbands, loving your wives sacrificially. How are you doing there? I want to end on this point. I mentioned a seatbelt. Do you remember me mentioning a seatbelt earlier? Okay. Okay. Sometimes, for fun, when I go to work in the morning i 'll go into my car i won 't open the garage door, and i 'll set the phone aside, everything to the side i 'll put my up I put my seatbelt on, then I open the garage door, and then I turn the keys on, and I always look behind me, thinking in one in one million chance, is there something behind me before i back i don 't just back up right?" But I do this deliberately, carefully, I'm thinking, because I'm always afraid if I do this, I'm going to back up before I've opened the garage door. Has anyone ever done, you know what I'm talking about. There's a slight risk. But I do this, it's kind of like living on the edge just a little, okay. Belt yourself in. Belt yourself in the safety of the Son of God. If you take this commandment and you walk away with just don't do it, you've missed it. You've missed it. The God who said, I am your God. You're my people. I will be with you forever. I'll remove your sins as far as the east is from the west. So far, I'll remove your sins from you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll put my spirit within you. I'll write my law upon your hearts. I will be your treasured possession. Therefore, you'll be mine for eternity. It's like when you look When you look up here, do you see me and not a pulpit? Or do you see a pulpit and not me? What do you see in this commandment? Do you see the grace of God who keeps covenant with his people? Who no one, as Jesus says in John 6, no one and nothing can snatch his sheep out of his hand. You are eternally saved. doesn't matter. Such or some of you. Maybe you're like me, you survey your life. There's a whole lot of junk, but there's a whole lot of grace at the cross. And so we come, we move. We don't get eaten up by always staring inside, but we look to Him and live. Yes, we affirm, we have been warned the unrighteous, those that continue to sin with no shame, with no desire for repentance, no eye for the glory of God, no care that they are rebelling against what God has spoken and revealed. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul asserts that twice in First Corinthians 6. But you told them such were some of you. And I remember this yesterday, that the word but there in verse 11, this sentence, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's the strongest but in the Greek language, Allah, A-L-L-A. It's very different. These do not inherit the kingdom of God And implicitly, because we were washed, we were sanctified, we were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God, we have hope. We may not despair. We will. If we're in Christ, our sins will have been washed away. We will have been sanctified. We will have been. We are justified. I want to close and show you something from our last passage. Turn to Psalm 51 and we'll be done. What if you opened your Bible to Psalm 51 and it said... An adulterer's contribution to the Psalms. Well, that's what it is. And look at David's prayer. Look at David's request. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love. According to your, trans- your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Brothers and sisters, look to Christ. Cultivate the life of God in your inner being through the word and through prayer. Intake with the word, right? Inhale with the word. Exhale with prayer. Remember That you have a high priest like this. He was holy. He was innocent. He's unstained. He's separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He's yours. Get belted in.